0: Welcome to episode number 39 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about minimum size requirements for dust explosion testing chambers. So the title of this episode is Does Size Matter? Why is the standard dust explosion testing chamber 20 liters? This is going to be as part of a series, as part of more material that we're putting out through the podcast. We're talking about fundamental science concepts and how they apply to dust explosions. Our goal from DustSafetyScience.com, from the podcast, from the material that we're putting together is has a couple folds to it, but one is really to connect industry with application providers. So this is what we do through our membership, our industry database, our combustible dust instant reporting, but also connecting them to scientific research. So over the next couple episodes um, and moving into the future, we're going to also be talking to experts from industry like we always have. We're also going to bring on experts from universities, and we're going to talk about some fundamental science concepts and how and why they apply dust explosions to start to close that gap between what is the fundamental science and how are we actually using that in industry today, Um, and hopefully this will give some interesting insights on some of the history of how these things came to be. And and today we're talking about, again, why is the 20-liter chamber 20 liters? So in this episode, we're going to talk a bit about what standards apply for dust explosion testing. Why does vessel size matter in the first place? And then we're going to talk about what factors govern the minimum size that we could use and some of the history of how that was actually determined. And we're going to go back kind of into the analogs of, of the fundamental science, of the applied science and research, and how do we get to the point that we are today with these 20-liter chambers that are in use around the world. So by way of getting started then, what standards apply for dust explosion testing? So internationally, these are the ASTM, E1226, and E1515 standards, which govern how to determine Pmax and KST. Pmax is the maximum pressure from an explosion in a closed vessel, and KST is a size-normalized maximum rate of pressurized under standard testing conditions. So you find definitions of this in these ASTM standards. ASTM-E-1515 is actually for minimum explosible concentration, which we're not going to talk about as much in this episode, but I just want to highlight it. So those are generally what are followed in North America through an FPA, but there are other guidelines that are used internationally. There's the ISO-IEC-80079 Part 20-2, which is also on explosion testing for combustible dust, and VDI-2263 Part 1. In general, all these standards point to the 20-liter chamber as being a laboratory bench scale apparatus that can replicate, if used correctly, the results from larger vessels. And the kind of gold standard here is the one cubic meter chamber testing. We'll get into why does that matter and why are we, why do we need smaller laboratory scale vessels in a, in a moment. But I just want to kind of highlight those as the relevant standards. So I mentioned Pmax. This is sort of the easy thing to determine. You can actually calculate this if you understand and know the thermodynamics of combustion. You're just reacting the material in the chamber and it gives you a maximum pressure. The harder part is the rate of pressure rise. So how fast, how reactive is that material? So this points to the reactivity of the combustible dust, the kinetics of the actual underlying reactions, both the physical steps and the chemical steps, and the difficulty is that they're largely unknown. The most studied material is likely coal, followed by maybe aluminum, and then it drops off very, very fast from there. Most materials that we handle in industry every day We just don't know the reaction mechanisms, both physically and chemically, to be able to estimate that. So then the the problem is that we need those because we need it for things like designing suppression systems, doing venting calculations, ranking materials on which might have larger severity when explosion occurs. These are all really important parameters, but we don't have an underlying scientific unified theory that we could actually take, okay, this is the dust, this is the chemical makeup, this is the physical properties, particle size, porosity, or, or whatever, and estimate what that what that kinetic reaction or how fast the reaction is going to happen when the flame propagates through a dust cloud. So what we do then instead is we do experimental testing. The kind of gold standard, as I mentioned, is the one cubic meter chamber. That's generally thought to to well replicate what would be seen in industry applications under the worst case conditions. Um, and normally the KST, this size normalized maximum rate of pressurize in the concentration range is thought of as the worst-case scenario that we reproduced in the one cubic meter chamber. There is lots of literature, probably 30, 40, 50 years, discussing how this testing might actually differ from what you see in industrial scenarios. We're not going to get into that too much in this episode because it's a huge, a broad topic, and that's really why you need an expert. That's why you need to bring somebody that can do proper testing, that knows the materials, that can give you a good recommendation, and then also partner with somebody that knows what that means for you, the end facility provider, in handling the material safely. So why does vessel size matter then? We talked a bit about the cubic meter chambers being the reference point, but the problem is that it's really big. So there's been a search for the last half a century, last 50 years, on finding a laboratory scale apparatus that can reproduce the results. Again, Pmax is easy, you can actually calculate it by hand in a lot of cases, but the the rate of pressurize, how fast, how reactive material is, we need the experiments to do that. Now, having a smaller chamber, for example, the 20-liter chamber, that's 50 times less volume than the cubic meter. In terms of dust, that's 50 times less dust. So if you need, you know, a bucket or a kilogram or something of dust for the 20-liter chamber, you're going to need 50 for the one cubic meter chamber. A lot of facilities just don't have that much dust laying around. Or the dust, well, hopefully they don't have that much dust laying around. We've covered why <laughs> in other, other episodes of the podcast. But it's hard to generate that much material to do the testing. And the material might be really expensive. So in, say, pharmaceutical, you may not be able to use that much material. The other issue is that the time required for testing is vastly larger for the cubic meter chamber. You may be able to set up and do a couple shots a day where you need maybe 10 to 15 to do a whole KST curve. In the 20-liter chamber, you can probably do a KST curve in a couple hours. So you're talking a couple days to do it in the one cubic meter chamber, maybe a week. And, you know, a couple hours in the 20-liter chamber if you have everything set up. So it really comes down to time, cost, the amount of dust that you need, and this has really led to the smaller 20-litre chambers, of there being several hundred of them out there in the world, and really only being about a dozen or so cubic metre chambers, these kind of gold standard reference points. We covered a lot of this in a previous podcast episode with Martin Cloutier from Jensen Hughes in episode 21, and that was understanding the combustible dust testing process. So that all begs the question then, why 20 litres? Why not smaller chamber? Why not one litre? Or why not 5 or 15 or 36 or 45? And it comes down to some kind of fundamental properties of these testing chambers and understanding how they impact the rate of pressurize. So a lot of this was largely based on the research of Richard Sivek out of Switzerland in the late 70s and 80s. And then there's been multiple research done up until today on it as well. One really big struggle and one really difficulty here is that a lot of this research is hard to find. I've seen reports where they've done tests on 10,000 individual shots over 50 dust to find the smallest volume capable of reproducing the cubic meter rate of pressurize once it's scaled. But the difficulty is that a lot of that material was published internationally, maybe as part of industry reports, maybe as part of international conferences, and it's not available in the public literature set, both the the full public or even some in journal publications. It's very hard to find that history. That's why I I've read a, a number of these reports over the years from my PhD research. I just want to share some of these findings and give you an idea why why are we at 20 liters? Why does that make sense? If you have reports, if you have these kind of literature set literature base that's built this up over time, send that through to Chris at DustSafetyScience.com. I'd love to kind of collect those up. Some of them we can share to the general public if they're already in the public domain. Others we might not be able to share if they're under copyright. So it's it's kind of important to to make sure that we we're, we're staying above board on that. But I'll share with you the general findings that we've seen. Just keep in mind, there's probably literature out there that covers this topic, and maybe prevents other viewpoints. But this is just one set from from my experience and background from reviewing this material. So the number one report that I found in this area that is is one that's called "Experimental Methods for Determination of Explosion Characteristics of Combustible Dust." And this is an industry report based, I believe, out of Switzerland, and it's listed as recent results of the Department of Explosion Research of the Central Safety Service of Chiba Gaggy Limited. So C-I-B-A G-E-I-G-Y Limited. I only have a scan of this paper. I had the printout at one point and then it got scanned and I lost the printout. And it's not made available because I'm not sure what the copyright is on it. But I want to highlight some of the findings from it. Some of the plots you can find in a textbook called Explosions, Course, Prevention and Protection. And that's by Wolfgang Bartnick. And you can find that actually at dustsafetyscience.com resources. We have links to all the, the textbooks that we can find in Combustible Dust, all the resources that we think might be helpful. So some of these plots I'll talk about today are reproduced in that textbook. And then this is the base report that I mentioned just previously where I've found a lot of this material from um, and got some of these concepts from. So then back to our main topic, why is the 20-liter chamber the, the minimum required volume for explosion testing? The first is there's two parameters really that govern the impact of vessel volume or vessel size on the rate of pressurize. The first is the surface to area ratio, um, surface area to volume ratio rather. So how much volume is the chamber and what's the surface area of its outside. So as you make that smaller, you have a larger surface area compared to the volume inside. If you have a very large chambers, a small surface area compared to the volume inside. The other factor is the maximum chamber volume. And we're going to dig into both these over the next couple minutes and kind of explain why. So the surface area. Surface area to volume, I can't seem to say that right, the surface area to volume ratio is important because if you have a large surface area on the outside of the chamber, as the explosion is happening, it's being cooled by the chamber. So the chamber's at your ambient your room temperature and it's actually cooling down the flame, the heat that's building up um, inside the chamber as the explosion happens. There are some things you can do like putting water jackets on and trying to bring the temperature of the outside of the chamber up, but this still happens, it still impacts the effect and a lot of the testing is done without water jackets. So the, the outside surface of the chamber is at this room temperature. As the flame develops, it's cooling down the flame. So there's a good plot in this report that I mentioned by Richard Sievek, Experimental Methods for determining Termination of Explosion Characteristics of Combustible Dust. And it plots from a whole bunch of experiments that they did, the maximum rate of pressurized from the 20-liter chamber compared to that of the one cubic meter chamber. So I'm going to try to visually describe it to you, but the x-axis is... KST from the one cubic meter chamber and the y-axis is KST from the laboratory equipment. So you can imagine if they're in perfect agreement then the one cubic meter chamber would give a 350 value and the, the 20 liter chamber or the laboratory equipment would give a 350 value. So you get this kind of straight line up across the diagonal of this sort of plot. From the results presented in this paper they found the surface area to volume ratio really impacts this agreement. They found the smaller the volume the lower the maximum rate of pressurized predicted in laboratory equipment. So if you have the Hartman tube, the 1.3-liter chamber, its slope is much less than perfect agreement. 5 liters, it's a little bit better, we're not quite there. 10 liters, it's a little bit better, we're not quite there. As you increase your vessel volume, obviously up to 1 cubic meter, you get perfect agreement, where 1, one cubic meter would give the same results as a, an additional 1 cubic meter chamber. So the slope of this line, is, as done as talked about in this analysis, is impacted by the surface area to volume ratio. Again, you're changing this ratio, you're reducing it as you increase the vessel volume, which is decreasing this cooling effect that the walls of the chamber are having on the flame as it propagates and then slowing down its reactivity rate, its kinetics. So that's the first major thing that impacts it. If you have too small of a chamber, that's kind of cool. And there's a lot of data out there from the Harbin tube that used to have explosion characteristics and that's generally considered not usable anymore because that volume was too low. The outer walls had too big of an impact on cooling the flame as it progressed. It was predicting uh, rates of pressurized that were too low relative to what you'd see in an actual piece of industrial equipment. So this is the impact of the first parameter then, surface area to volume ratio. The second parameter is the maximum chamber volume, it's called in this paper, but it's really the, the radius of the chamber. So on the same plot that we talked about, one cubic meter results on the bottom, 20-liter or laboratory results, laboratory size vessel on the y-axis, perfect agreement would be horizontal, they found that there's only a maximum rate of pressurize that can be reproduced in laboratory equipment. For the Hartman tube, they found this to be quite low. For the 5-liter, they found it to be around 350 barometer per second. For 10-liter, it was quite a bit higher, and then it kind of goes up from there. They found that if you go beyond this reactivity, so if you have dust that's that reactive, you get this kind of plateau where you can't predict any higher rates of pressurize, even though they are predicted in the larger cubic meter chamber. There's lots of things that could cause this, and it's still sort of an open scientific challenge that I haven't really seen addressed completely in the literature or by universities, but you can think of it in one way. Well, the way that's actually mentioned this is that the vessel size has to be big enough to let the combustible dust flame fully develop its reactivity. That's kind of a general statement, but I'm going to say it again. Fully develop its reactivity. One way to think about this is if the dust flame has a radius of one centimeter or five centimeters or 10 centimeters, that actually has a big impact when your chamber radius is only on that same scale. So for the 20 liter chamber, the radius I believe is something like 19.2 centimeters or something around there, around 19 centimeters. So you can imagine if your flame radius is 10 centimeters or 20 centimeters, it's not gonna get fully developed before it hits the wall and starts quenching, so you need a bigger chamber. So for the Harbin tube, where it's a very small radius, these dusts that are lower reactivity, they may not fully develop to to their kind of maximum uh, propagation rates in the 20 liter chamber. I'm trying to say this without using kind of buzzy or scientific terms, so it's actually turning out to be quite difficult. So give me some feedback when you listen to this episode. Shoot me an email at chris@dustsafetyscience.com at and say hey. These terms and technology, we need to define them more. Maybe we'll do an episode talking about that. But back to this topic. So what we're trying to say is that there's a maximum volume that a dust at a given reactivity can can fully be developed in. And as the dust becomes more reactive, as you move into aluminum and dusts are highly reactive, 700, 800 barometer per second, you need a bigger chamber in order to be able to capture that reactivity. So that's the second parameter. We have the surface area to volume ratio, and then this maximum chamber volume. So then how do we get to 20 liters? What they actually end up doing was dividing the results from the laboratory testing equipment for the Hartman tube, 1.3 liters I believe, the five liter sphere they're testing with, 10 liter sphere and 20 liter sphere, divided by the results in the one cubic meter chamber. And they found a a linear relationship with this parameter that's surface to volume ratio that I was talking about. And you can actually see this kind of linear relation where you get better agreement, better and better agreement, As you increase the vessel size, they found, you know, pretty poor agreement at the Harman Tube, Um, a little better agreement at 5, pretty good agreement at 10. And if you extrapolate this back to perfect agreement, and again, I believe this plot is in that textbook, Explosions Course Prevention and Protection by Wolfgang Bartnick, although I don't have a copy here because I lost library access when I graduated and I haven't actually got a, a business copy yet, but I think it's shown in there and it extrapolates back and when you extrapolate the line back, you get the perfect agreement at 16.1 liters. So this is kind of the, the hypothetical or the theoretical volume at which you will be able to predict the cubic meter chamber, scaled rate of rise, from a laboratory vessel. So 16.1 liters. And I believe that they use 20 liters as sort of a, a safety factor on top of this. So in the thought process is that the 20 liter chamber can both has the surface area to volume ratio and also the maximum volume to give good agreement with the cubic meter chamber, but also reproduce results from very high reactivity dust up to the, the most reactive dust that we have in industry. So there you have it. That's why and how we got to using a 20-liter chamber. And if it sounds complicated, it's because it is. There's a lot of testing that was done there. Again, 10,000 individual tests just to get to that data point. And a difficulty and a struggle that I continue to see is that we don't have the fundamental science knowledge straight from you know, combustion of single particles, which we'll talk about in a, in a future podcast episode, up to how do they react as a flame in a dust cloud, up to how does that interact with vessel chamber volumes, how does that interact with different geometries. We don't have that fundamental science built up to be able to predict these things from theory, which is where universities trying to get to, um, where we're trying to help a little bit with some of the universities actually in these research programs. We don't have that. So then we have to develop the experimental system that can reproduce results that we can see today. And that's where this development of the 20 liter chamber came from. So I wanna go through a couple other challenges with dust explosion testing. We talked about some of these previously, but I have three that are aligned here. The first is maintaining uniform dispersion and turbulence. So these are again, kind of technical terms, but they're important to know about if you're going down this track of understanding explosion testing in these laboratory vessels. So if you're running a lab or if you're a lab tech, if you're a consultant that's providing information to industry based on laboratory results, it's probably pretty good to know this stuff. So again, this first challenge is maintaining uniform dispersion and turbulence. It's actually pretty hard to get a uniformly dispersed dust cloud inside one of these chambers. It's also pretty hard to do it in industry. So what they do is they take their best design nozzle to get a uniform dispersion, their best guess at what a, what a worst-case turbulence might be, and give you this worst-case guess of rate of pressurize. rise. So that if you can't have those conditions in industry, then you're able to reproduce that. Again, if this sounds complicated, it's because it is. And that's why following a standard procedure is needed. That's why you need to follow ASTM, E1226, or ISO, IEC, 879, or VDI, 2263. If you don't follow these, if you change the delay time, or you change the igniter strength, or if you change um, something else in the testing process... You're actually going to get different results than the standardized body of knowledge that we developed over the last 50 years to do things like explosion venting and suppression calculations and that sort of stuff. That's why you shouldn't call any tests. I see this quite a bit actually in, in the university sphere. If you test maximum rate of pressurized in a 20-liter chamber, don't report it as KST. KST is a very specific thing. It's defined by the standards as maximum rate of pressurized scaled to one cubic meter volume, which is actually ends up being unity. And done under standard test conditions. So if you report KST that are done not standard test conditions, it's not KST, it's just K. It's a maximum rate of pressurize that's termed under a specific set of experimental conditions, but it's not KST defined in the standards. So, I just want to highlight that as, as one of the challenges. If the dispersion is different, if you're using a different type of dispersion mechanism, a different turbulence level is generated, if you're using different igniters, different delay times, these are not going to give you KST that we have used to develop our body of knowledge over the last 50 years. It's going to give you some other parameter, and that may actually have an impact on using that for these type of calculations. The second challenge I want to highlight is ignition, strength, and marginally, and I'm going to put air quotes, marginally explosible dust. Dust is just a little explosible, whatever that means. It's important to note here that at Hagenays, we had three iron, dust, flash fires, explosions that killed a number of workers, This dust was tested and found to be, quote unquote, marginally explosible, which is generally fine to have a a rate of pressurized, scaled rate of pressurized below 50 bar meter per second. Probably calling this low reactivity is maybe a better word because it, it is dangerous. It is combustible. It is explosible. It's not just on the line. It's just on the line of 50 bar meter per second, if that's even an important line to look at. It can still and does still injure people in industry. So... This is a a really high area. ASTM standards have put some information in place in their testing procedure for go-no-go on how to deal with marginally exposable dust. Sometimes the recommendation is to go to a cubic meter chamber. I don't know the ins and outs of this whole process. Again, this is why you need an experienced laboratory to be dealing with an experienced laboratory. It's why you also need someone with experience on your side to determine which testing should be used. Um, We covered, again, a lot of this in episode 21 of the podcast, Understanding the Composable Dust Testing Process with Martin Cloutier. I just want to highlight as another challenge. Igniter strength and marginally disposable dust. Then the third challenge is high reactivity dust and radiation. In particular, metals have this kind of radiation effect that we haven't got a good grasp on how it impacts rates of pressurize as the cloud gets larger, as the vessel volume gets larger. So, radiation, the kind of really quick Coles Notes version of it, is that radiation is released from anything that emits heat. And its strength is proportional to temperature to the power of four metals some of them like aluminum have very high flame temperatures and you imagine putting something to the power of four has a big impact so they have a lot of radiation emitted this radiation gets emitted from the flame front can actually heat the particles upstream from the cloud in the cloud before the flame gets there so it kind of preheats these particles and then the flame stronger once it gets to that next position and then the particles downstream are even preheated more so you get a flame that grows that accelerates due to radiation as it as the flame gets bigger. So if you have a one cubic meter chamber or if you have a 100 or a 500 cubic meter storage silo, this flame can actually accelerate due to radiation. And we don't have a great scientific understanding of, of what the degree of increase in the flame speeds are. So that's why you see some things in the standards that I think we've talked about on the podcast before, like multiplying the rates pressurized by a factor of 2 or by a safety factor, um, that's because we're still trying to figure out today what this impact of radiation is for metal dust. What we end up with is a size-dependent reaction rate which we is hard to determine in these kind of statically defined explosion chambers, 20 liter, one cubic meter. So that's still an open challenge that we're diving through in the, the universities and the research world today to try to better quantify so we can make better recommendations through the industry. So those are three challenges with dust explosion testing I want to highlight. Maintaining a uniform dispersion and turbulence, looking at ignition strength and this, you know, low reactivity or marginally exposable dust, and high reactivity dust and radiation. These are all big challenges that we're dealing with today around the world, trying to improve the explosion testing process. So that's it for this episode. We talked about what standards apply for dust explosion testing, and we talked about why does vessel size matter. We went through kind of the history of why is the 20-liter chamber 20 liters, there's two parameters here, the surface to volume ratio, so how much surface area is in the 20-liter in the testing chamber compared to the volume, and you get this cooling effect if that number is too high. And then we have a maximum chamber volume that allows the dust to fully develop its reactivity. And again, this fully developed its reactivity is not very well characterized. One way you think of it is flame radius. If you can't actually fit that flame in the chamber when it's fully developed, you're not going to get the full... You know insights into what how fast I could propagate. That's one of very many factors that, that aren't well quantified. Then we went through three challenges: maintaining uniform dispersion and turbulence, igniter strength, and marginal disposal dust, and high reactivity dust and radiation. We talked a bit about how those might impact things as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it's again a little more on the fundamental science side. I think we're going to throw some of these in every now and again, and I'm interested on your take. What do you think? If you're an end user in a lumber mill, maybe this isn't as applicable to you, but if you're, you know, when you're a laboratory test or you're a consultant or you're an expert in this field, maybe this is something you've never thought about that you maybe should know about. And if it is, then then I hope that this gives you some value in that space. We're going to try to cover the full end of the spectrum from the very fundamental science to applied research that's done in university and industry labs around the world, through to application, through to NFPA standards, through to global standards. We're going to try to cover that whole spectrum throughout this podcast over the next months and years to come. And this is kind of just laying the groundwork and framework for that. So if you have any thoughts, feel free to email me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. You can go to dustsafetyscience.com slash podcast to see more episodes of the podcast. And you can get the show notes for this one at dustsafetyscience.com slash 39. Moving forward, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I really appreciate the work you're doing in entries every day around the world to make these industries handling combustible dust safer.